0: So here's the question. In the print and packaging supply chain, how do we deliver new ideas and innovative practices to continually improve your profit, your brand, and your quality? Welcome to The Gamut Podcast, and I am your host, Jeff Collins, Director of Print Technologies for ID Alliance. We are a nonprofit global think tank serving the graphic communications industry with 12 offices strategically located around the world to better support our membership. You can support the Gamut Podcast and content like this by becoming a member at ID Alliance by going to www.idealliance.org. I would also like to thank Conicum and for sponsoring this podcast. They are a world leader in industrial and commercial printing and packaging solutions. On today's Gamut Podcast, we have the pleasure of hearing from Mark Gunlock. He is an X-Rite solution architect. And has over 24 years experience working in photography, design, and print environments. He's a graduate of Kent State University in journalism and photo illustration and worked for seven years as a commercial photographer and was one of the first to adopt and use digital photography and color management in a commercial studio Mark was an early advocate of fully digital workflow processes and later used his experience as a system integrator to install and train users on color management, pre press production, press room process control, and digital workflow leading practices. Mark is a certified ID Alliance G7 expert, an Apple Color Management Pro and Color Management Trainer, and has helped hundreds of companies take control of their workflows over 17 years of professional training experience welcome mark how are you today doing wonderful on yourself excellent and today we have a lot to discuss and we're going to talk about pantone CMYK builds and we're also going to discuss pantone guides and extended color gamut so we're covering a lot of topics and so mark to get started i'd love to talk about CMYK builds for Pantone spot colors and the often confusing situations that we get into um, give us a little help here for designers that are preparing files that are, you know, Dictating possibly brand identity guidelines and the use of uh, spot colors and CMYK builds and setting the right expectations and understanding the reality of that often confusing scenario where we get into uh, CMYK builds that cannot reproduce spot color properly, but they are embedded into the file that the designer has provided.
1: Yeah, Um, so. The whole thing about how, um, you know, how designers use Pantone colors um, and try to get to CMYK builds yeah. uh, within Adobe apps, right? Mm-hmm. And there's, a you know, a lot of confusion over that and how they need to get that conversion. And, you know, when they look at their their published Pantone book, and it has certain numbers in it. And then they open up Illustrator and they see different numbers, you know, and, and they scratch their head and say, well, why is this not working?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Let's, you know, kind of start with the basics. I pick out, I'm a designer, um, you know, I need to uh, reproduce Home Depot orange within a spec or possibly reflect blue is uh, the color we're going with. Or could be something simple like, you know, Pantone 186. Yep. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, so- well, so first of all, they need to understand that the uh, the Pantone colors um, actually were not born as CMYK colors. They're born as uh, colors that were created in an ink room where the, uh, the ink tech has uh, 18 different pigments that he's working with, 18 different colorants that he can mix. Uh, and usually he'll pick three or four of those to create that color. OK, so to create that orange, they're going to pull up, uh, you know, that that. Home Depot orange, they're going to pull up an orange pigment and it may add a little bit of uh, a red pigment to it, uh, you know, and, and something else in there. But those aren't things that we have in CMYK, right? So those aren't achievable within the gamut of CMYK. Um, they're going to run in, like you mentioned, reflex blue. Well, that is one of those colorants. Okay. And that's not, you can't reproduce that with CMYK, right? Yes. So. They they need to understand that first and foremost there's a lot of colors probably about 45 percent of the colors in the book are not achievable in CMYK so already half of them they're not going to be able to get a a good match when I say achievable I mean like probably you know acceptable match like somewhere under two delta E right so right um, so when they're working with those colors um, if it's really critical to hit that color uh, like that Home Depot orange Um, If it's in a packaging type scenario, uh, you're going to want to run it as a spot color. You don't want to try to build that out of uh, CMYK. Now, what you can do to kind of get a a kind of a reality test here is if you, you know, don't rely on what you see on your display uh, in your applications and such there, uh, it's probably a good idea to have uh, a Pantone color bridge um, because that actually has the formula built color, uh, patches right next to the CMYK uh, built version of that. And if it looks pretty good in the um, the bridge guide, then it's probably going to be reproducible pretty well for your for your needs. The bridge guide, um, the CMYK that's in there is printed uh, to align pretty close to it, uh, Grackle. So you know in that if you're if your printing environment is something close to that then you can expect to get pretty similar results to what we got in the book
0: mark what kind of information would you provide us uh, to people that are still using you know our old Pantone libraries or their you know, providing essentially worthless brand identity guidelines or instructions for reproducing uh, Pantone colors that are no longer, you know, they no longer exist in the applications like Adobe Creative Suite. So, you know, keeping up to date on uh, swatch books as well as uh, the electronic libraries. As of 2010, um, the values for
1: those Pantone colors all got locked down. So uh, you kind of alluded to the old books and stuff. If you have anything, uh, any libraries, digital libraries, even prior to 2010, you shouldn't be using those, okay? Because they may have different LAB values associated with those colors. From 2010 on, those that, that's our color DNA. We locked it down. And from that point forward, those values, those those uh, color names have the same laB value the only thing we change with the libraries from 2010 on is adding new colors okay mm-hmm. so that's that's a fine way to communicate um, you know your your desired uh, spot colors There's just using a Pantone name in, in that regard uh, if I'm working with a library that's newer than 2010 and you're uh, my print provider and you're working with that same library and I simply ask for Pantone 285, we're speaking the same thing there. You pulled up in your system, it's the same as mine, right? Mm-hmm. So that's one acceptable way to, to work with it. You know, that's one nice thing about Pantone. It, it's 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 very universal now, okay, in that regard. Um, now, if I, the, the biggest mistake I see with the, the communications of brand standard colors um, is when, you kind of mentioned there, is when, when I've got, um, maybe I define my brand color as a pantone color but then i also give you a cmyk or, or even worse just an rgb value yeah and and i don't and i don't tell you what color space are we working with here right here's a cmyk number this is what it has to be well i should not as a brand i should not be dictating to you as a printer here's the cmyk values for my color um in in just a vacuum like that um we have to have some other communication like uh I need to understand what standard you're printing to. So if uh if we have an agreement that you're gonna print to Grackle or to swap or some other uh print standard, yeah. I need to communicate the CMYK values that are right for that standard, if I'm gonna dictate that. Um or if if we're in a situation where and, you know, actually we're 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 seeing a lot more people doing extended gamut now, right? Yes. Right? Well, oh, yeah. The extended gamut, there is really no standard per se around that, right? Not yet, right? Not Getting yet. Yeah. Um, but if you're if you're good at your extended gamut work, and I'm trusting you to print my work, and I and let's say that Home Depot orange, that's not even a Pantone color, but whatever. Um, if uh, if I can give you either the Pantone color or good CxF data that represents my color, okay, that's spectral. Okay, I just need to tell you, this is the color I want you to hit and leave it up to you to figure out what the CMYK orange, green, violet build is. Right. Right. So. Right. Right. So I I think one of the key things here is we have to be whether it's a custom brand color uh, or Pantone, they all need to be rooted in spectral data to start with. Pantone is. And uh, that's what we really need to have for our brand colors. It should be spectral data. And if we're going to hand these around, they should be. We should be um, storing this data in CXF uh, format Got and it. trans and exchanging it. That's in fact the name. CXF is Color Exchange Format, right? So that's what we yeah. should be using to
0: exchange these colors. How can we best, Mark? How how can we best provide that exchange format, CXF? Uh, through the supply chain, the print supply chain? Where does it start, and how do we use CXF to exchange that uh, spectral data? In order to make a proper CXF that people can use throughout the
1: whole supply chain, um, it's really going to need to be something that's made out of a color application like like that is used by uh, ink professionals, for example, uh, and people are doing um, QC of production where they can actually record spectral data into that cxf the one of the mistakes i see that people do out there is um i'm not even sure where they're making these files but they'll have a cxf that only has lab data in it right right and you know when it comes to color the the actual the actual color really is should be rooted in spectral data the spectral data can be interpreted under different kinds of conditions. And, and our industry has, depending on uh, where you're coming from in our industry, you, you may have different um, uh, illuminant and observer standards, um, you know, D65 versus D50, 2 degree versus 10 degree. Yeah. Um, and we've kind of inherited some of this baggage from, from legacy data you know, the ink rooms would sometimes do D65, but yet you've got your press rooms doing D50 and some weird stuff like that. Um, we, we've, we're we trying to get everybody on the same page, D50, two degree. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's still some legacy garbage out there. And people need to understand there is you can't just take an LAB of D65, for example, and just somehow magically convert it over to D50. Um, now, if I have spectral data, I can do that. Right. But I can't take an LAB to LAB uh, effectively. Some of the, the larger brands out there are actually asking that the ink companies formulate the ink in such a way that um, they'll reduce the color flop that'll have the metamerism uh, mm-hmm. between different illuminants. So if I'm looking at it under daylight conditions, I'm looking at my package under daylight conditions um, versus store light conditions. Yes. Right they'll actually ask that the ink company formulate to get a good match under both D 50 and cool white fluorescent or something like that. Um, And you can't do that with just LAB. You have to have spectral to be able to do that.
0: Are there certain colors, Pantone colors, ranges of Pantone colors, maybe they're pastels or maybe they're, you know, highly saturated hues. Are they more susceptible to changes in lighting conditions Going from retail to a standardized uh, lighting booth,
1: um, I'm not aware of specific colors uh, that would be that uh, would have that issue. Um, but if I just plug in an LAB value um, into my software, um, it's going to calculate to do to do its math. Uh, it may need to calculate a spectral curve. If you plug it into your software, it may calculate a different spectral curve. Both of those curves are valid for getting to that LAB, but they're very different. Um, and here, here's, a, here's a real scenario uh, that people run into is I have, um, I have uh, some ink guy uh, creating uh, ink for a label. Let's say it's going to go on this, this bottle. And they just have LAB data. They get a good LAB match. The, the the standard that i that i want here right and they make that label i've got another guy who's printing a folding carton with a you know a knockout for the window that's I'm gonna drop this bottle into this box and you'll yeah. see the label through the window. You with me?
0: Yeah I'm totally right? on board yep
1: okay so this is collateral stuff here. The um the box guy it's that's a different ink guy okay he's doing you know offset inks and everything here and the label guy did flexo whatever right well he goes off of LAB, and he also gets a good LAB match, but it's not a good spectral match, okay? They end mm-hmm. up with very different spectral curves, but they still end up at the same LAB. Well, what they'll see when they visually QC this in a viewing booth, yeah. everything we're talking about here is D50, right? Mm-hmm. These are going to match in a viewing booth. They're going to get a thumbs up and have things ready to go. Now it goes to the uh, store floor. And suddenly the label flopped over to the green side and the box flopped over to the red side. Now we got something that looks totally different. And now, you know, the customers are looking at this and questioning the
0: quality of this product. What advice would you give a designer or a pre-media, pre-press operation that require and need to maintain updated Pantone libraries within creative applications like Adobe Creative Suite or possibly corporate? Quark Express uh, how do the how can they easily maintain uh, current up to date Pantone colors Pantone adds new colors to the libraries continually and we need to stay abreast of these new changes or new additions
1: so adobe ships with the 2010 libraries and uh, currently and uh, everything that's in there is still valid data but uh, what's what's going to be missing is any new colors we've added to the libraries um there is a tool from pantone called the pantone color manager uh, that allows you to take a look uh, at these libraries and actually import the newest libraries it stays up to date all the time so it always has access to whatever the latest and greatest libraries are that are available um so you can use that to update your libraries the um other thing that's important, um, though, with those applications is, again, as I talked about earlier, the, um, the fact that the numbers in the published guides for CMYK builds are not the same as what you're going to see in your applications. And there, this, is, this is by design. This is not okay. by flaw. Okay. A lot I of people see. are like, oh, this is all broken, right? This is, this is by design. The CMYK part of the guides is printed um, we've done g7 calibration of our presses we've uh, printed the cmyk portion of the bridge guides uh, complying with the grackle 2013 with a substrate correction so those numbers you see in the book are, are, are based on you know hitting grackle 20, 2013 but also based on our specific uh, paper color
0: right and that's so, where you apply substrate correction because you have a specific paper color.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Okay, well, and that's that's normal for G seven production.
0: Absolutely.
1: I, I, we're not doing anything, you know, you know mm-hmm. some secret sauce here or anything. Now, when you go into your Adobe applications, what's your default color space for CMYK?
0: Very, very old U.S. Web coded swap V two. That's archaic and well, and frustrating. Yeah. It's exactly. crazy. Yeah. And Adobe, who uses that listening. anymore? Adobe. Uh, (laughs) I mean, seriously, it's been over a decade and going on two decades that these default settings, color settings in Adobe Creative Suite have not been updated, have not been changed to align to industry specifications that are currently in use like Grackle 2013. Makes very little sense because it's not a huge development lift. It's a simple update uh, for default settings. You know, many, many issues and wasted money would be resolved quickly with that little color setting change.
1: Yeah, well, and the thing is that they don't even have to change the... Def- they could do kind of a soft change here. They don't actually have to change the default. They could leave it in there, but at least have one of the presets to match current industry standards. So you just select a preset and it sets your RGB and uh, CMYK and everything, you know, um, idea Alliance has those, uh, uh, those color uh, presets settings files. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, I remember years ago I helped uh, assemble those, um, along with others, um, for distribution, but, uh, people have to go to idea Alliance and download those. You know, if if we had those embedded in the application, so you'd go in there just to select that right out right out of the out of the box instead of having to go download something and add it, um, that would be far better. But yeah, running with the defaults, um, again right out of the box is not going to match what we've got in our book, okay? Because it's a very different print condition than we use for our our book, right? Yes. And I think a lot of designers aren't even aware of the fact that when you select a Pantone color and you say convert to CMYK, it's going through that CMYK profile that you've got set in your preferences. Um, They assume that it's hardwired in there, and they must be wrong. But if you switch that uh, CMYK profile to, say, Grackle 2006 or 2013, um, depending on communication with your printer, what they're doing, um, you're going to find that the numbers in your conversion on, on, in your Adobe app are going to be much closer to what we have in the book. They're going to be just a, a little bit off, you know? Um, cause again, our paper color is a little different than that of the standard. So it's going to uh, tweak it just a little bit, but it should be very, very close. In fact, if you were to use one versus the other, you probably wouldn't see a huge difference, but, uh, we don't recommend changing those numbers, uh, in there. Uh, that's another mistake that I'll see people do is they'll do the conversion and then they'll literally open up that color and then type in the color values they get out of our book.
0: And that's That's a bad, bad, bad practice. Correct.
1: Bad practice. Have you seen that too?
0: Uh, All the time. Matter of fact, it happens all too frequently. I was, uh, one scenario comes to mind, the most extreme and a commercial printer, uh, was going to throw a brand new digital press that they purchased, had it for a few months and they were, <laughs> were looking at uh, litigation and, you know, getting rid of the, uh, the newly purchased digital, uh, press. Uh, turned out that. The problem was uh, colors from their cash cow account, their their major uh, customer, which a brand who had a corporate logo was a hue of red. They could not produce this Pantone red on the digital equipment. And uh, the customer was threatening to take the work and uh, give it to another printer that had a digital and big problem. And they couldn't resolve it. Turns out we did an audit, did a little investigation, and that the uh, the customer was supplying files and forcing the printer to use a specific CMYK build for that Pantone uh, color, that red. That they had been using an all set. This is, you know, part of their brand identity guide. And of course, the resolution was to stop doing that and simply supply the file with the Pantone as a fifth color so that the digital engine could convert it correctly. Because that CMYK process is much different than the uh, bill that they were pl- uh, supplying within the file.
1: Exactly. You know, so you do you, what you described there, I, I have seen this too, where where the um, the brand owner dictates you must print this CMYK value to hit this Pantone mm-hmm. color, and you know they're expecting the printer to hit that, even though they're printing to a different uh, print condition. But they have to use those numbers and match it. It's not possible, you know. And that's where it's really important you have communications between the 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 the, the print buyer and the print supplier to understand. What conditions are we printing under? Who's going to make the conversion to that print condition? So if you don't have control of that and you're sending st- work out to a lot of different suppliers, then you really need to communicate to them, hey, I- I'm-, I'm expecting you to hit, you know, grackle or swap or whatever. Have that communication. That's what my expectations are. Um, Or like we said earlier, if you are printing to a custom condition, like uh, extended gamut, or you're doing, you know, flexo printing on white film that doesn't hit grackle exactly, you know, and you had to create your own custom CMYK and all this stuff. um, Let the converter do those conversions. That shouldn't be done
0: uh, upstream by the creator. Mark, you've written a bit on blogs concerning extended color gamut you know expanding uh uh CMYK process to seven color process from four color process to you know widen the ability to reproduce more spot colors effectively and the uh considerations in the label and packaging uh market there's uh, a lot happening in that particular manufacturing sector of the print industry where uh, label manufacturers flexible packaging manufacturers converters are taking advantage of some of the uh, best practices for color management like uh, applying G7 and uh, targeting specifications and these have been used in offset uh, quite efficiently and uh, talk to me about that particular area of the business it uh, a lot lot of converters
1: um, are starting to work with uh either their own in-house pre-media or they're working at pre-media companies and they're starting to do more around, um, uh, achieving G seven kind of mm-hmm. work. Um, they're starting to use, um, some of the, the new, um, CRPC, uh, uh targets.
0: CRPC uh, six and so, or the whole, yeah. So yep, ISO one, five, three, three, nine. Yep. The data sets right. within that. Yes. Exactly. So we've got,
1: you know, uh, a wider range there. So there's smaller gamut, um, data sets there and there's larger ones that, that go, you know, a, a larger and smaller than Grackle and Swap. Okay. Yeah. So they've got a wider range to pick from. So starting to go with those. And actually I've been pleased with, um, and surprised, I have to admit in some cases, um, with, uh, with the Flexo guys, you know, like that example I gave of, you know, printing on white film, um, I've hit swap and grackle on white film using flexo process
0: that's fantastic how did you do it
1: it wasn't real magic it's actually just communication with the uh, ink company um where they you know would provide us with inks that fell on the hue angles uh that we were expecting from swap okay and then just working with the guys to try to find you know the the combination of analogs and, and sticky tape and everything to get get to, um, you know, the, the size gamut of a uh, swap or grackle and, uh, the dot game that we require. Uh, and they just basically, uh, locked down, you know, established this is the settings on this press to yeah. achieve that. Right. yeah, And then with that, that actually, they did this because they wanted to make it easier for themselves. They didn't want to have to have a custom print condition that they had to convert all their files to. And they also didn't want their press operators pushing color around on press. So if they said, hey, we'll, we'll shoot for, tra- for a, a target of grackle, let's say, mm-hmm. and then they communicate that with their pre-media people and their designers, everything starts out as grackle and just goes all the way through with a lot more predictability.
0: Right. Wonderful. And that's what we're really shooting for. We're able to predict as as opposed to being constantly reactive. And, you know, in Flexo with Analux and Dr. Blades and, uh, you know, the environmental considerations with Waterless Ink, we have, you know, limitations compared to mm-hmm. offset as far as moving color around. So you really have to get that thing set correctly as far as your conditions first. And then having the target totally makes sense. And, exactly. Uh, so, let, now, how before I, jump off yeah, that, I would ahead. like yeah, to add, there, yep. there, like you just mentioned,
1: there are certain things where you have uh, inks that are fit for the purpose, you know, whether it's rub resistance, food safe, that kind of stuff, that are going to limit that ability to hit, say, grackle or swap, right? You know, you're going to be different hue angles, right? Um, in those cases, you will have to have a, a – you may have to have a custom print condition, okay? Um, but – Again, communication here, if I know that in order to, to get the best gamut, the best color out of my press, I have to go slightly off standard like that. Um, I need to communicate with my premedia media people um, and make sure that we build a good profile around that and we do the custom conversions. But that's not going to be something that you're going to expect, say, the designer to do that far upstream. You're going to have pre-media managing that to yeah. make the plates for that condition, right?
0: Yeah. Often my uh, raw materials are immutable, but I can't apply G7. So for whether it's in Flexo or any other uh, technology, do you see an advantage of uh, going to the basics of calibrating to g7 gray balance and tonality aims if i'm somewhere in between let's say a specification like grackle 2013 i can't achieve it but i don't want to dumb it down to let's say uncoded or swap i'm somewhere in between one of those areas but i know that i can get very good uh, acceptable shared uh, visual appearance by applying g7
1: Actually, just a recent example. I was at a, a narrow web label printer, and uh, they, they were doing everything with the Adobe defaults. They were doing all their own prepress in house. It wasn't even a third-party uh, premedia company. They were doing it all in house, um, and you know they they got stuff. They converted to the default in uh, the Adobe applications. They sent it out to the press and their press operators were responsible for pushing color around until they got it to match kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it was a nightmare. In fact, uh, their, their standard operating procedure was included things like switching out different sticky back on different cylinders or different plates rather to, uh, to try to accommodate different dot game, you know, things Mm -hmm. like this. Um, and it's not, you shouldn't be coloring on press. And, you know, like if you're doing the G7 uh, calibration and you're establishing, yeah, it is a custom um, target you're, you're going to create here. But it's G7, uh, you know, based. Um, and then you, like you said, you build a profile of, based on that condition. And then you work with uh, doing your conversions internally to that custom press condition. Uh, you're doing all the color work up, upstream, you know, prior yeah. to making the plates so that you get predictable results and, you know, then, uh, you can take jobs in the future. Let's say your conditions should change, you know, uh, suddenly that ink is no longer appropriate for the use. It's, you know, whatever. And you have to switch it out. Uh, then you simply reconvert the file to that new press condition and it should be ready to run again. You know, um, rather than having these guys on press constantly pushing color around, that's
0: that's, that's not
1: and the thing is, as, as you've probably experienced as well, is that the further down the process you are, the, the kind of the more expensive it is to fix the stuff. Right. Yeah, so perfect. Um, right. So at the press, obviously, it's more expensive to be running that press, wasting materials and time at the press stage. Mm-hmm. But if it ends up that he can't get that color right and then he end up pushing it back to pre-press anyway because I need a bump curve or whatever on this thing. Right. Then you've slowed it down even worse and it's going to become more expensive. You've got more people touching it again.
0: I want to switch gears here and, and I'd love to discuss with you the manufacturing process behind the Pantone guides, the swatch books, the CMYK bridge, the Pantone solid guide, the extended color gamut guides. And when I worked for Koenig and Bauer, we customized a press for the Pantone facility there in New Jersey. So it was a customized press with split ink fountains. And we, in fact, in 2000, I believe it was 2007, 2008, visited the plant to implement G7, uh, assisted the staff there to implement G7 on those customized uh, presses. So talk to me about how you guys are doing process control, how you're manufacturing the current guides.
1: Yeah, I'd love to, because we've actually been doing a lot of work on uh, even tightening uh, the, the quality control uh, even more uh, just in the last couple of years. So, yeah, so as you described, we've got uh, a press that has a split fountain that um, mm-hmm. instead of running the uh, each of the spot colors in line, they're side by side. Right. Um, which is pretty crazy to watch these guys loading ink. Uh, on this split fountain with these little, little narrow areas to, 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 to put the ink in on, on the press. Uh, and there's a video somewhere on our webpage that, uh, shows that what that looks like might take a look there. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, so, you know, these guys are running the, the, the actual s- formulated spot colors in that fashion on that split fountain press. And, um, we've actually, uh, more recently, and this is, it's not a, Sales pitch, but just you know, just you understand where we actually implemented um, a uh, way that we can actually take our instruments and software um, to scan across all of those colors and get immediate feedback uh, on those uh, those color values, and the guys will adjust the density on press up and down until they say hit it. If they can't get it within a certain tolerance uh, on press, then they can actually write out the software. They can. They can kick out the um, uh, CXF, okay, the spectrum data of what we've measured on press, and we can send that back to our ink room, and then in the ink room, they can make adjustments to that ink and replace that ink on press if needed. So...
0: That's amazing. Yeah. So where right. is the, Where are you where? Where does the scanning take place? Is it uh, somewhere in between the units on the impression cylinder, or how, how are we collecting It, it, it is data? offline.
1: We we pull we we'll pull okay. uh, sheets uh, immediately from the press, and we've got a table that we've modified uh, specifically to allow for our um, instrument to to slide across. Uh, it's the exact that we're using. Yeah, and we're measuring into color cert where we've got, um, uh, all the colors set up there, but the, uh, operator pulls it, uh, measures it immediately and looks at the, uh, uh, he's got a, a screen that, uh, highlights what's passing, what's failing. So he can immediately drive into where things are failing and, uh, drill down to see what the problem is. Uh, there's graphics on there that provide him with guidance on how to get to the best match with a density adjustment. Right. Um, and so then he'll the, there's a, a separate guy doing this color measurement and analysis and he feeds that information to the press operator and, and asking him to you know raise the density up or down by how many points kind of thing uh and then the operator will make that change and i will run some more sheets and pull it and so on um but uh it's a it's a pretty crazy make ready. And that, you know, we're being super picky on a large number of spot colors. I don't, you know, nobody is running 28 spot colors on on a job except for us. Very specialty kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So whether it's a formula guide or a bridge, but it's the formulated side of the bridge that that we would print in this fashion that I just described the um other piece is done on a cmyk press um and that one as you mentioned is it's g7 calibrated and uh there too we are measuring on that as well it's it is it's a big challenge there to to manage the cmyk stuff there we actually uh, do use um the press forms kind of um i put this the press forms are different than a lot of typical printing because if you think about how we're laying down ink to create these colors you're going to have parts of the press press where we're using uh, a lot of ink, yeah, uh, and then others we're using very little. Right,
0: hosting issues, starvation. So
1: yeah, it's tricky. So that, that, yeah, real challenge there. So um, dealing with that ink starvation uh, in different areas and such, uh, we've actually used some tools uh, from our sister company Esco to uh, to create a special um, bar uh, takeoff bar, basically. It goes it uh, to help kind of balance that a little bit for us. And we have, we've seen some improvements uh, based on using that as well.
0: So we've covered the uh, Pantone solid guides as well as the CMYK bridge using G7 as a calibration method for the CMYK process. And what about the extended color gamut guides that are produced? Are you following a specific process by applying G7 for the CMYK, and then the uh, OVG inks. Explain to me uh, the calibration methodology used to produce the uh, ECG guides.
1: Um,
0: we did do
1: the uh, the G7 uh, calibration uh, mm-hmm. on that press for the CMYK. Then the uh, additional uh, extended gamut colors on those, we did... Um, basically a linear calibration, um, using, uh, an older method called delta E to P. Um, cause that was prior to. SCTV. The, uh, that's right. It's prior to, prior to SCTV. It behaves pretty similar. Okay. Um, but it is different. So we use that to, 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 uh, curve those plates. You know, we've got a good representation of how color can be converted to uh, a condition. that's basically grackle plus extended gamut colors, right? Mm-hmm. Now, there too is, I'm glad you brought that one up, is um, that doesn't mean that you're going to be able to get that exact match of those colors on every printing condition, right? Because in essence, we're looking at grackle plus, okay? Grackle plus uh, uh, orange, green, violet. If your particular printing condition is a flexo press um, running on uncoated paper or, you know, you're, you know, heaven forbid you're printing on uh, white craft or something like that. Yeah. Um, no, you're not going to get the gamut there just because you have the additional colors doesn't suddenly make it everything that we got out of that ECG guide. Right. Right. Um, the intention there is to show what colors can safely be converted to a large gamut output, you know, say swap or grackle, you know, can I predict that I'll even get a good match? And the beauty there is that adding those, uh, extended gamut colors to the production is we got very good matches, um, across a very large number of the, the colors in the book. So if you look at your ECG guide, uh, and compare that, I like to compare it with the bridge. Yes. I like to use the bridge with that one, right? It's a great set there because you can look at how is it a formulated ink? How does it look on CMYK? And how does it look on CMYK orange, green, violet? And all of those are the CMYK is all you know, based on crackle.
0: Yes. Right? And it's something that not only, you know, the printers and the, you know, the smart G7 master printing facilities with the G7 experts on staff and, uh, you know, top notch pressmen can use. It's also something that brands and people upstream in the supply chain can take advantage of. Mark, what is your role and responsibilities at X-Rite working? I'm obviously you have a tremendous background and work with uh, some of the uh, finer aspects of reproducing color, whether it's Pantone, spot colors, ECG, or CMYK process. But give our listeners an idea and a background on what you do for X-Rite.
1: So, um, yeah. With x right um, my title is a solutions architect. Um, and that, that means I, I do a lot of work with, um, mostly large converters that have a lot of different locations or some cases just more, uh, advanced applications that some you know printers or converters need to, to do. Uh, they'll, they'll bring me in to help them look at their workflow and try to figure out what kind of tools or techniques can be, uh, uh, brought to bear to improve their process. Um, and some cases it's not even, it's not even tied to a sale of one of our products. It might be going in and helping someone understand more about, uh, G seven, uh, or just simple process control. Um, it might be a matter of training, uh, their operators, uh, to understand color. Um, mm-hmm. you know, understanding again, like we, we you know, understanding the, why we care about spectral data, and why lab is is sometimes not enough information. You know, um, those kinds of things. Uh, do a lot of uh, process audits where we'll we'll go in and and look at a, a workflow from the very beginning. What comes in the door? What do you do with it? Who do you hand it off to? What communications take place? Um, how can we smooth this this uh, handoff through the chain? uh, and then assure that we're handing off good data and, right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so all the way out to the press room, um, I've worked in the industry for a a number of years and I actually, I got my start as a commercial photographer eons ago. Um, so all the way from, you know, the the creation of these files, uh, through pre-press, you know, and, uh, all the way out to the press room, uh, you know, their process control there, a lot of work with Inc. guys, um, helping them with their, their process control in there, yeah. uh, working with the proper standards and QCing properly. Awesome. So that's the kind of stuff I do. The uh, other thing that I, I, I love is that um, I work a lot with our R&D guys to try to figure out you know, how do we build tools to to address the needs uh, of the customers. I bring back a lot of, a lot of voice at customer. And yes. share that with our our development team uh, to
0: help them build better products excellent Mark. What does your near future look like what uh, is happening with you and x rate over the next six months to a year if you can share that with us
1: we've got uh, uh, we've we've had a lot of success with a lot of um, large programs with um a lot of large multi site converters lately where they're implementing um uh, color management systems, uh, process control systems. Um, and they're standardizing across all their locations. They, they're they really liking this for a number of reasons. They like the fact that uh, they can use the data to report back to the brand owners uh, that, yes, we're hitting the targets we promised to, and you can see it through our production, and here's a report on it, right? Yeah. They're also using it for um, internal continuing improvement programs. If you aren't measuring your production regularly you don't know where you are but if you're measuring daily on every single job and you can look at trend lines and you can see are we getting better? Are we getting worse? Where are our biggest problems? what's the you know, you know what's the common mm-hmm. denominator of these uh, problem uh uh jobs that we're running. Um and learning from that and going in and trying to address those issues. You know, that they are they're learning a lot from that and improving on efficiencies and qualities with it. And so for me that means I, I get to travel pretty regularly, uh just about every week now. Uh I'm on site, uh helping people uh resolve these things. It's pretty exciting. I love to go in and everybody's got their own issues they gotta deal with and, and uh I I like to go in there and try to find ways to make our solutions fit their, their issues.
0: And Mark, on that note, uh, we'll go ahead and close out the Gambit podcast for today. And I want to thank you for graciously spending the time with us and sharing your knowledge and experience uh, with our listeners. And I also want to take the opportunity to thank X-Rite and Pantone for all the support that you've given Idea Alliance and our membership over the years Uh, with equipment loaners for classes and courses, as well as um, providing intellectual horsepower in our print properties and color metric council meetings, as well as uh, contributing to our efforts in uh, improving standards and specifications for quality in the print industry. I really appreciate the time. Thank you. Excellent. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Gamut Podcast. If you have ideas, suggestions, or would like to join us or even sponsor future podcasts, simply email me at jcollins at idealliance.org. That's J-C-O-L-L-I-N-S at idealliance.org. Take care and have a productive day.